Last week, I opened up the message about talking about my drive from New York to Chicago when we go back home for vacation. And we've made it numerous times, probably about two or three times a year if we are blessed enough to be able to do so. But I still don't have the roads all memorized. And if I'm going to drive 650 miles from here to there, I want to know I'm going to end up in the right place. And after 12 hours in the van, especially with the three kids, I definitely want to end up in the right place because I want to be able to just cut loose and relax and ah, a little bit because it's an intense drive sometimes. For the most part, I can usually plug the destination uh, into my phone and I can trust the GPS is going to get me there. And I may occasionally, it may occasionally lead me on some adventurous driving as we get to crossing into Illinois and we get to the south end of downtown Chicago. But you know what? It ultimately gets me where I need to go. So I'm going to say it does the trick. Do you ever struggle to do that? To trust another entity, whether it's another person or a program or an app to find the best route for you? And I'm talking bigger than just driving to, to Wegmans or driving to you know, an appointment or something like that. You ever go to the doctor's office and you hesitate before agreeing to a certain treatment for whatever is going on? You ever ask or you've been asked by uh, your kids, your grandkids, why can't I have ice cream for dinner? It's just not fair. You ever get advice on <laughs> where to invest money? All of these can send that moment of pause through your spine. And maybe rightly so. In today's story, as we begin to explore the power of the gospel through this season of Lent, as we are getting ready for to, uh, preparation for Easter, we're going to hang out in Matthew's gospel. And we're going to spend time in a story here where we see a man who has authority. And he has the manpower to take Jesus down if he gets it wrong in this conversation that he's having with Jesus. And we see him trust Jesus with human life. Where, and he wasn't even the garden variety believer, as Jesus points out. He was somebody, like we had said last time, you would not expect would have believed in what Jesus could do. Check out the story here in Matthew 8, uh, verses, eight uh, verses 5 to 13. When he, Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many would come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while their heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. Last week, we were starting kind of a collection of one-off messages that will come up throughout the calendar as we have sort of individual Sundays in between uh, different plans that involve head-scratcher passages, things that just make you go, something seems off here. And I had to admit, as we were starting Lent here, this one 
could have very well fit the bill. Maybe it's the perfect transition passage from that idea to this idea of the power of the gospel. So one of my favorite ways to zero in on the engine of a message is to find a part in the story, in this case in particular, that seems to make no rational sense and zero in on it. Start to to dig in and, and ask the questions that come out of it, just like a journalist might. And this story, it really came up pretty easily because as I'm reading through and I'm looking at what the centurion is saying to Jesus in this interaction, and it forced me to start asking some questions. It's like, the centurion, this soldier, he asked Jesus for healing for his servant. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll do it. And then the centurion goes on in this rant about authority. No, Jesus, you don't have to come into my house. Just say a word. Why? Why not let Jesus do it his way? Do it whatever way he wants. You're going to get your servant healed in the end. Maybe it's some version of, you know, my servant is dying and so he hasn't cleaned the house lately and so it's going to be all messed up and everything like that and I don't want to bring Jesus into that. Or maybe it's, no, Jesus, you know what? Do the one where, like he's watching some magic show or something like that. He wants to see a, a certain version of the trick. You know, if some of my friends from, from Harlem could go time travel back to this time, 2,000 years ago when this is conversations going on, they might have pulled the centurion aside and just gone, smack! He said he was going to heal your boy. Say thanks and walk away before he changes his mind. Why egg Jesus on with do it with a word bit? Why do that? Just take the healing and go home. Here's the best answer that I can come up with. As I dove into this question, tried to ask this question, the best sort of answer that I can have at least. And it really starts <coughs> one passage earlier, one section earlier in Matthew 7, 29, where it says, For he, Jesus, taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So people are in this, who are hearing all this going on, they're used to authority. They considered their scribes, their um their professors, if you will, to be people who had authority. People, when they spoke, you respected what they said. And Jesus comes on the scene and it's like, something's a little different about this guy. He's not your everyday preacher. Jesus is on just a whole nother level. Now, note, this section with the centurion chapter in Matthew 8, this is coming after the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7, which is that line about him having spoken as one with authority. That's coming at the end of this, um, this grand slam of a sermon that Jesus has just preached on the mountain. And maybe the centurion was on site hearing that teaching. But somehow he picks up on this whole authority vibe that is going around as far as what people are saying about him and, and maybe how he hears what Jesus says and how Jesus presents himself. And here he's another one who understands authority. Remember, a, a centurion is a soldier, he, uh, and a Roman soldier at that. He's an officer that's in charge of probably about 100 men. Now, anybody who's been in the military understands authority in the same way, or at least has some experience with authority in the same way. If you have more stripes, you have more authority. And to the point, if more stripes tells you to do something, you do it. No questions asked. That or you get an insider's tour of the brig, um, your choice. But authority 
to the centurion, to this soldier, plays out in words. As he goes into this rant, I tell people do or I tell people go and they do or go. They listen to what I say. You, Jesus, have a similar authority over life and death. Not just people, over celestial things, over life and death. You can heal my servant's paralysis with just a word. And Jesus does. And pay attention as well, this whole book, all of Matthew, not just these couple of chapters, but all of Matthew is written to a particularly Jewish audience. And this is a Roman soldier. So hence, you have... That's why you have all those, you have heard it said, uh, you have heard it said, especially in the Sermon on the Mount that comes just previous, and all these other references to the Old Testament. Um, because this is written to a crowd who understands and knows all of that history and that, that past. Um, it, it, it sort of requires a little bit of that insider knowledge to really pick up on things that Matthew is talking about. So I usually don't end up recommending Matthew as the first book that people read. But my point is, the centurion isn't Jewish. He's a Roman soldier. He's a Gentile. And having those two together, he's perhaps as un-Jewish as they come. So why? that's why I say that he's not the garden variety believer. He's not the kind of person you would expect to walk up to Jesus and say, I know you have authority over life and death. My servant is paralyzed. I need healing for him. Please heal him. And in, in seeing that, in seeing this not your garden variety believer coming and asking Jesus and having the faith that Jesus can do it. Jesus ends up calling out the Jews who are standing around watching him. Those who, who would be the believers, who you would think would have faith in this guy. It says in verse uh, 10, it says, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. You Jews, you've been studying and you've been searching for me. For generations, he says, and you don't get it nearly as well as this outsider does, as this Gentile does. What is the it that Jesus has, has that, is, that they're not getting? He has both power and authority. Power, well, that honestly kind of covers itself. This is not the only miracle or the only healing that Jesus does in his ministry in the three years that he is um, here on earth doing ministry. But as I did before, I want to zero in on the part that can make us squirm a little bit, make us maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Because if Jesus really has power and authority, what does that mean for me? Particularly that authority part. More to the point, what does that mean for my authority or for my autonomy? I mean, let's face it, over the last year or so, people with authority in their title have often had suspicion in the onlookers, right? It's having people trust someone in authority, it's, it's been very scarce lately, especially this last year. We don't trust, at least in America, we don't trust easily anymore or grant authority lightly. So let me ease your spirits for a bit as I'm kind of talking about this idea of authority and, and how we respond to it as a people. If you've ever stopped at a red light, you know authority. If you've ever pulled over for flashing lights, you know authority. Whether that's for police or a fire truck coming by or an ambulance coming by. No matter how much independent machismo we may possess, if we've done those things, we are, in a sense, submitting to authority. And that's, as we can tell, something that's probably good for us. 
to to have order. Um, otherwise, if, we, if people aren't stopping at lights when we're expecting them to stop, it's going to be chaos. So, how can this idea of Jesus has authority can ease our spirits? Well, I mentioned a, a few things that can make us uneasy. Can I trust the GPS to get me to Chicago all the way from here in New York? Well, I kind of understand how it works and what it's doing, and it's not steered me too wrong in the past. So, okay, I'll grant it authority to choose my route from here to there. What about that doctor who is recommending a certain treatment for uh, an illness or something like that that I have? Well, do I trust them to have my best interest at heart? Notice the words that I'm choosing as I say this. Jesus makes a thing of it when it comes to healing. It's no different here. He points out the faith of the one who's making a request. And most times when he's making a healing, he points this out. At some level, faith is another word for trust. right? Jesus, <coughs> Jesus admires that people are trusting him with their health or their well-being. We read about many times where Jesus honors that by performing the healing of whoever it is and, or offering forgiveness for whoever it is because of their faith. So here's the thing. Where's the part of your life that's hardest for you to trust Jesus? To let him have authority over that part of your life. Because we can get really good at compartmentalizing our lives, right? There's this part of our life, and there's my finances, and there's my schooling, and there's my church, and there's my work, and there's my family. And they're all in their nice little boxes, um, not touching each other. And it's sort of like we can be... A believer, we can be a Christian and maybe even been for a whole life. And it's like, okay, you can have this part of my life, Jesus, or you can have this part. But that part over there, that's like, no, Jesus, that part's mine. I know best what to do with that. I mean, that's what we end up saying, right? Maybe not exactly those words, but that's really what it boils down to. I don't trust you with this. I know better than you, Jesus. Those are the times we can hang on to this fact that Jesus uses both power and authority to bring abundant life, to bring hope and to bring peace into those times when our trust is wavering. So in this season, it's about 40 days until Easter, the season of Lent. Make that your aim, to trust Jesus with that part of your life, whatever that part might be. May you experience the abundant life that he came to give. Let's pray together. Jesus, there was nothing about anything we did that required you to come be a part of our lives. That required you to transform us or to love us or to save us. But you were willing to do it. You, having power and authority over life and death and over all things in the universe, to care about us. It's an incredible thing. So help us to trust you with our lives, with all of our lives. Not to hold parts back thinking we know better, but to get, lay them before you so that you can transform them and give us life through them. All this we pray in your name. Amen. <laughs>